Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat. We are here on July the 11th, 2012, in the evening. My two favorite fellow Orioles bloggers, my friends and fellow bloggers, my usual podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson, is along for the ride. Andrew, is there anything new from the uh, Lehigh Valley All-Star Circuit? Uh, No. Absolutely not. And we, unfortunately, Andrew and I are also going to have to be on our our best behavior tonight because we're being joined by our our friend and blogging boss, the Bowser of Camden Chat, and the most interesting woman in the world. She is Stacy Long. Stacy Long, welcome back. Thanks. How come I don't get a cool intro? Uh, most interesting woman in the world. Sure, I understand. I don't want to be the most interesting woman in the world. Just. Uh, you know what, Andrew? Maybe we can work on that, and, uh, and next time you can get one. But Stacy does, in fact, have a very interesting story for us this time, because Stacy, just yesterday, got to interview none other than the Iron Man, Cal Ripken Jr., as part of a promotion for the, what is it, the Pepsi Max Field of Dreams or something or other like that, Stacy? Yeah, the Pepsi Max Field of Dreams, it was a thing where people voted online among the candidates for, like, they're their, the best at each position, and so they were doing, they revealed the rosters on the All-Star Day from the All-Star Game. And Cal Ripken and Mike Schmidt were the two guys who were kind of announcing. So I got the chance to talk to, to Cal and ask him a few things. And it was, it was pretty exciting, you know. It's hard to, I always try, one of the things I always try to do is like act like I've been there before. <laughs> Because, you know, when I'm in the press box, even though I'm like, oh, I'm in the press box, I try to act like I've been there before, you know, and, and but it's really hard. I cannot act like I've talked to Cal Ripken before. I can't do it. You know, it's he I had a poster of him on my wall when I was a kid. I can't you know, it was very, very strange. And, me, and not but, only that, but you were telling me that the logistics of the interview was such that Cal Ripken actually called you on the phone. Oh, yeah. Well, it was. um. It wasn't just like, hey, Stacy, this is Cal. It was, you know, his handler or whatever oh, okay. from the PR firm called and said, you know, I have Cal on the line for you. But then he, but then Cal came on the line. And he said, hi, Stacy, how are you? And I was like, um, Cal <laughs> just said my name, <laughs> <laughs> which is totally ridiculous because of course he said my name. I'm talking to him. But it was really, it was really uh, nice. One of the things, uh, Mark was kind enough to cut some things out for me, the beginning part and some awkward, you know, spaces and such before we posted it. But I'll go ahead and tell a little. When I, Whenever I do an interview with someone, which is much less often than Cal Ripken does, of course, I always like it when they say to me just ahead of time, okay, we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z so I can start thinking about it before we start talking. And so I did that for Cal. And I said, oh, so I thought we'd start with this and then talk about this and this. And he goes... Yeah, I think that's in my skill set. <laughs> and I was like, oh, right, you're Cal Ripken. You can talk about anything. You know, so I kind of felt like a dummy. But, you know, he was super nice. He's probably and, given more course. interviews than he played in consecutive baseball games. Right, so, yeah, he's been giving yeah. interviews since before I was born, probably. So, but he was he was super nice. And I'm sure he could tell that I was not, you know, the typical reporter. And he he was very fun. He was very nice to me. And I really appreciated it. So, it was very exciting, even though, you know, it wasn't the longest interview, and I felt like I probably could have done more if I was more, had more experience. So, but it was, 
it was a really, really cool experience. Like, I've gotten to do a lot of cool things as a part of Can the Chat, you know. I've gotten to talk to Jeremy Guthrie and Adam Jones, and I get to go in the press box and, you know, listen to Rick Peterson talk about whatever he was talking about that day. And, but, I mean, really, Cal Ripken, that's, like, beyond... That, Cal Ripken is from before... I became the kind of Orioles fan that I am. Cal Ripken is now, from when know? the Orioles were good. <laughs> well, well, I mean, he's from like the days of wonder of being a baseball fan, you know, when, you know, now I'm so cynical and not just because the Orioles are bad, but just because that's who I am now as a grown up. But, that's you know, true. yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like not it takes you back to anymore. Yeah. Right, so the the Stacy that loved Cal Ripken and had her post his poster on the, her wall. What did you have the milk? You know, uh, the milk does the body good with the mustache on there or something. Yeah, I, I, I had his growth chart and hanging on my wall, and I had that hanging on my wall like not only when I was a kid, like all through college, there was the Cal Ripken growth chart was hanging in my dorm room or apartment or ever. So you know, it's it's really strange talking to someone who someone like that. So even though he's a legend, he's also been a, he was my legend before, you know. I was like, ah, oh, wow, look at his babbit, you know. So whatever, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I dare say I would not have done nearly as well as you. I probably would have tripped over my own words and uh, really embarrassed myself and and the site in the process. So you know, it was good that you did that and pretty awesome. Nice feather in the cap for all the Camden chatters out there because now we've posted on a blog. That got to interview Cal Ripken. Very nice. That's right. It's pretty exciting stuff. So not not quite as exciting. Uh, the current state of the Orioles. It's the All Star break, and honestly, I'm starting to twitch from lack of baseball. Even though it's not exactly good for the Orioles right now. Just, I mean, it's Wednesday night right now, and there's no baseball till Friday. And I've, I don't know how I made it through today, and I have to get through tomorrow too. It's like, uh, I don't know. But the Orioles. So, so we're here at the midseason, and we wanted to revisit our some of our preseason predictions to hold them up for praise uh, and or mockery, and probably more mockery than praise, because it turns out we had some stinkers among our guesses, as anybody who makes predictions is going to have some stinkers among their guesses. So, for instance, uh, yours truly picked as the player to what was our pick to click was what we called it i don't know it probably sounded better at the time i think that sounds kind of lame now but whatever but our my, my selection for that was jake arietta so uh you know how do you feel about that obviously i don't feel so good about that right now and uh i really wish i knew what was wrong with jake arietta because i wanted him to be so very good but unfortunately me wanting him to be good was not enough to ward off him having a 613 era after uh, making 18 starts, and he was demoted within one hour of the conclusion of that game. They demoted him so fast, they didn't even bother to call up another player to replace him the next day, because they knew they wanted to bring Steve Tolleson back, and he couldn't be brought back because he'd been optioned more or less than 10 days previously. So that didn't work out. So- Really curious. We definitely want Steve Tolleson. Right. It was so. That's it was definitely our guy. You know. Team Steve. Team Steve. Yeah. yeah. So my win, my win projection at that time was 70 wins, and of course Andrew got me to make a guess a couple weeks ago, or it might have been three weeks ago now, and I said 80. I don't like 80 anymore now either. My new revised guess at this moment is going to be 77 wins, and now that I've said that, that will probably also be wrong. So 
now that we've laughed at me, let's get a little laugh in at Andrew's expense because Andrew also had a interesting, oh God. Oh God. interesting player that he thought would uh, exceed yeah. expectations because his player was Tommy Hunter. Well, see, I thought the the thinking would be just pick a player with whom you have really low expectations, and then them exceeding those, that'd be really easy. And Except for when you're as bad as Tommy Hunter. In fairness to Andrew, I don't think he really wanted to pick anybody, and he just ended up saying Tommy Hunter. But, well, that, that, I guess didn't work out very well. So Andrew also said the Orioles would end up with 71 wins. So what are you what are you feeling right at this moment, Andrew? And we'll all talk more about why we think what we currently. I, I actually like every week or so, like I sort of refactor what I think the the Orioles are going to do, and I base it on like a, like 71, 72 wins was my preseason expectation. Like if they reverted to that moving forward. And then they were playing better, so I thought maybe they're a little bit better. But now I have them like 79 wins, I think. 79 oh. and 83. Yeah, I mean, they they looked so good over the first six weeks, and then it's just been pretty disappointing, you know. The Orioles were 79 and 83 in 1998, the first of this streak of losing seasons, and. They haven't, of course, they haven't even had 70 since 2006. So, even yeah, we well, even all picked I, 70 or more was us being optimistic in a way. Yeah, I, when I say disappointing, I mean only relative to what they were doing. Right, and in mid-May at the time, it's, it looked the, like it could have been a lot better. The team actually looks to be in a lot better position moving forward than I thought they were going to be. So, so, so Stacy yeah. was our optimist in the preseason because, for one, her pick-to-click player was Nolan Reimold. Because Stacy and I are like the two biggest Nolan Reimold fans <laughs> in in the world. We'll give her like an incomplete for that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think I win. Nolan was awesome until he got hurt. Your like, guys were just terrible. Win. Yeah. No, I win. Win because Nolan uh, played in 16 games before he went on the disabled list with the sordid problems that turned out to require the season-ending surgery. 16 awesome games. They were pretty, pretty good games. Well, you know, you can't win if you don't play the game. That's how I look at it. But, Nolan Ryan's not playing any games. Maybe like checkers or something like that. Now, Andrew, we know from the wire it's actually that you cannot lose if you do not play. Well, we also know that nobody wins. One side just loses faster. That's true. Yeah. Meeting the wire with the wire there. But Stacy's preseason win total, she guessed 75 wins. Stacy, how are you feeling right at this moment? You know what? I might end up being right. <laughs> 75 wins. In, your, in the poll that you put up last week, I voted... The option was like 82 to 85 or something like that. Whatever the one that started with 82 was. Yeah, that poll is still on CamdenChat.com. It was the mid-season-ish win prediction poll. I think it's yeah, the fun and games section. If you if you haven't voted and you're out there listening, you should go log your uh, vote. I think it's open till Friday when the game starts. I think I voted with my heart a little bit more than my head in that poll because, you know... They haven't been playing well over the last couple months, month and you know however long it's been, and they've looked pretty bad out there, and their offense is is looking just terrible. But I can, you know, 
they're so close to <laughs> not being losers. And I really want to believe that. So I think, I, I still think, and this is, you know, my inner, my inner Dan O'Hare coming out to say that, you know, if some things go right for them in the second half, then, you know, they could have a winning season. But I think my head says something like 78-ish, probably. 78. So Andrew has become the reigning optimist guesser yes. with his 79. I am still the ultimate pessimist with 77. And Stacy says 78. So we're all apparently right at I, the same. You know, if, if they go through with their stated intentions to be buyers on the trade market, that could push it a little, you know, one or two games up towards 80. Yeah, just just tonight, uh, Dan Connolly of the Baltimore Sun on the Twitter quoted Dan Duquette as saying that he would like to get a high OBP guy to hit atop the lineup. Yeah. See? So, that's, that's the perfect trade target. That you know, nameless dude who's really good, whose team doesn't want him anymore. Yeah, I really don't even know what kind of person that would be. And uh, I don't know what the Orioles would have to give up to get them, but maybe they'll actually buy. I don't know. Of course, we do. Oh, buy we, again. We, we, yeah, buy again, because they already bought Jim Tomek. Well, you guys, as soon as Jim starts mashing taters, we won't have any problems. Jim, Jim. Jim. As soon as he starts mashing them, then it'll be like, Utah Street, Utah Street, Utah Street. He already and has one on Utah Street this year. It just happened to come when he was a member of the <laughs> Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah. yeah. His numbers in Camden Yards, I'm, I'd be willing to bet are pretty good. Just unfortunately, you know, now he's not facing those pitchers anymore. Yeah, he's not facing uh, Jake Arrieta or Tommy Hunter, just just for instance. So, well, who knows? And of course, there's the pervasive rumors. Well, maybe pervasive is the wrong word, but occasional rumors that the Orioles might try to trade for, for instance, Zach Greinke. Or just about any other starter who's mentioned, been mentioned as a trade for anybody has been mentioned have, with the Orioles. Have you heard any rumors about, like, Justin Upton or any, anybody else like that? I saw I on Twitter today our, our fellow blogger at Camden Depot, John Shepard, suggested if the Orioles were to target upgrades, then Justin Upton and Marco Scudero would be the two guys he felt like they should go for that's, that's interesting. or however he pronounces his name this year as uh, as buck Walter would say yeah i mean those were a couple interesting names but really i hate trying to make hypothetical oh, trades because yeah. i just have no idea what anybody's worth you end up looking a lot dumber than you do when you pick tommy hunter as your pick to click oh boy or jake arietta well, they did. Fangraphs did just write that article, Steve Slowinski, about how Jake Arrieta could be ready to go. Well, but we'll see. I mean, that that's nothing we don't we haven't already sort of dissected a lot. Where his his so-called peripherals are really good, and his so-called actual performance is really bad. His uh, so-called actual so, performance or his actual performance. <laughs> <laughs> Both. Uh, so, you know, who the, who the heck knows? I, I um, really, I just have no idea. But, well, if the Orioles are looking for a non-base percentage guy to hit at the top of the lineup, it turns out 
Nick Marcakis was activated from the disabled list on Monday. Are you going to say Andy Chavez? No, I was not going to say Andy Chavez. I, uh, I I wish I could have gone the whole night without saying Andy Chavez's name, actually. And you've gone and ruined it, Andrew, so thank you. Oh, just Andy Chavez. Thank it's, you for this. You know, when you're talking about a player like Andy Chavez, and then you don't bring up Andy Chavez, somebody has to say the name Andy I Chavez. I guess. No, but Nick Marcakis is back from his uh, broken hammock boon, and he will probably be in the lineup on Friday. I don't know. Does he count as a high OBP guy? Because this year he wasn't, but... I think compared yeah. to the other guys in the yeah, lineup. Yeah, compared to Robert Andino, he certainly is uh, a higher. JJ Harvey. Guy. JJ, uh, yeah, J- or yeah. JJ. Good, good God, JJ. <laughs> good JJ. God. Right. Like I really, like I watch him night in and night out this year, and I see him not do well. But the cumulative, if you look at his slash line, is just so much worse than even I realized from, you know, from night to night because he's. He's got a 224 batting average, JJ Hardy that is, and a 262 on-base percentage. Sub Cesar is Tarisian on-base percentage, but he does have a 380 slugging percentage, which I mean isn't good, but it... Well, this is that's kind of him. That's not unexpected. The batting average is low. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, he's never been like a big as much as the Orioles tried to make him the leadoff hitter and then the number two hitter, like he's just never had the on-base percentage to justify that. He's always been a power guy. Right. Like last year, right. he had a 310 on-base percentage against a 269 batting average. So, I mean, if he was at that level of batting average again with the same walk rate, we'd be like, ah, all right, J.J. Hardy, he's doing all right. But he's batting second and getting on-base at less than 300. Significantly less than 300, so that makes us a little sad. And yeah, I really... Course, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, well, I just... Of course, he's still a good player. He's still very valuable to the Orioles because of his defense. Right. Play yeah, on. you know, one thing is, no matter how bad he hits, which has gotten pretty awful, at least I don't cringe when the ball gets hit to shortstop the way I do at some other positions. Like uh, every um, other position. Like all of them. Except yeah. center field. Yeah, pretty much all of them. Except, yeah, I mean, Andino does all right at second um, defensively, but... Well, he's got know. the other problem. Well, yeah. All right. So, well, speaking of the defense, that's probably one of the bigger factors for our our uh, our optimism fading because the Orioles really have been a mess out in the field. Whether you want to look at you know newer age metrics or even just count the number of errors, which it doesn't even matter what you look at. They're all whatever whatever you look at, it's pretty ugly out there. And really, they're ugly out there if you just use the eye test and you watch. Ground balls go to Wilson Bedemeet's direction, wherever he is on the diamond. Any ball towards Bedemeet is just, oh man, you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, he's probably going to still be out there. Maybe they'll keep playing him at third base when Marcakis comes back. I don't know. Chris Davis is going to end up somewhere because they can't throw him out in right field anymore. Is Chris Davis going to be the left fielder now? I don't know. So long, Xavier Avery. Yeah, it was nice, nice knowing. You. I feel like Avery is gonna get optioned again, so they can activate Andy, which is going to annoy me because I, I just, what I mean, as far as value right now, Avery has to have more to the team than Andy Chavez. Well, they're both kind of in the same mold, like fourth outfielder types. I think anyway. Um, 
Avery, obviously, a lot younger. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's it's kind of a question with no wrong answer. You, you probably want Avery playing more regularly than he should in Baltimore. Uh, so sending him down is not the worst thing in the world for him. And if it's not the worst thing in the world for him, it's probably not that bad for the Orioles. Um, right. It just means if they're playing Andy in left, that means we get his 162 batting average, 193 on base percentage, and 210 slugging back in the lineup. Which yeah, but yeah. I mean he'll be better than that. Right. Well, that's one of Andrew and I's ongoing arguments in this season. Actually, is Andy Chavez really that bad? And Andrew says no. I think well, it's I possible don't, I just don't think it's possible for him to be that bad. But he yeah. has been, he has been so far. He doesn't have to be good. He he doesn't even have to be replacement level to be better than what he's been. His OPS plus right now is ten. Right. Well, at least like, it's not a negative number. I think it was for a while. I mean, yeah, that's he only played. I mean, what he only has a 111 plate appearances, so it's not like. But I mean, he's not he's not going to be good, obviously. But he's not going to be that. So, is if he can be good in the outfield, which I haven't been that impressed with him, <laughs> then you have to think that his bat will come around a little bit. But if he's going to be not that great in the outfield. Then what's the point? Well, and the other problem is he probably will bat lead off um, for unknown reasons um, without Brian Roberts anymore. And it's, it's either going to be Chavez or Andino if the early part of the season was any evidence. And batting one of those guys up top, is it, it does not help. It exacerbates an already bad situation. It ain't a good thing, that's for sure. So... Speaking of other things that aren't good, uh, there's also the Orioles' starting rotation, which three-fifths of the guys that opened there in the year have been banished to the Norfolk Tides. The Cavalry. Justifiably so. Oh, don't call them that. That's so sad. Well? Because they... Custer Cavalry. Remember the first time they were in the minors and we were so yeah, excited? Yeah, that's right. If, they're, if they're the cavalry, uh, they're at Little Bighorn is basically yeah. what it comes down to. <laughs> we may have used that tip before. Well, we'll probably that's use it. it again, so yeah. uh, get, get used to it. Sorry. <laughs> Deal with it, as we like to say around here. No, but seriously, Hunter, Mattis, and Arietta were all guys. They were getting tabbed for the rotation at the beginning of the year, and... They've all been in the, on the Orioles and stunk up. It's absolutely terribly stunk up the joint. So each each and every one of to them. To the Orioles' credit, they have realized this is a bad idea to keep throwing these guys out at the major league level and dropped them down to Norfolk. But that means you are now relying on the likes of Chris Tillman and Miguel Gonzalez and, and both, Dana Evelyn and possibly Dana Evelyn, possibly Zach Britton. It doesn't. I don't think they really know. Well, we don't really know who they're going to use as the fifth starter. Yet it could be Britain or Eveland. And either way, I mean, Dana Eveland is not going to be any kind of answer. And Zach Britton has not done great even at the AAA level this year, coming back from his injury. Because even when he came back from his shoulder problem, they optioned him to AAA immediately. But he's only made seven starts down there, but he has a 4.87 ERA through those seven starts, averaging right. less and, than and six s- innings pitch per game. Still, the important thing is that his shoulder is okay, I think. 
still the primary thing. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, he hasn't been re-sent to the disabled list, so I'm assuming that means he's okay. But, of course, you never know with baseball players if there's some un, you know, not being told injury that's impacting their performance. Hopefully that's not the case with Britain, of course, because anytime you start talking about lingering shoulder injuries with pitchers, that's just bad, bad mm-hmm. business. So he might be coming back up, but we shouldn't just suddenly assume, well, Jack Britton's going to do good. And of course, Chris Tillman and Miguel Gonzalez both had a couple of good games out on that West Coast trip right before the, uh, the All-Star break. But Chris Tillman threw eight and a third innings that were shut out against the Mariners, who really probably have the worst offense in the major leagues. And uh, and he promptly was optioned after that game to make roster room for the rest of the All-Star, or until the All-Star break. And he made one start in Bowie on, what was that, Monday? And he gave up like three runs in three innings. So... I don't know. Is that is that what, so? Figure that one out. Is that what we should expect from Chris Tillman when he's facing, you know, a better lineup than the Mariners? I don't know if he actually faced that in a Double A game. Probably not. Uh, I, d- I don't really know how to explain that performance. It's a it's a mystery. But he'll be back and starting on Sunday. And who's starting for the other team on Sunday? Oh, that would be Justin Verlander. So, you know. He's terrible. Did you see him in the All Star game? Yeah. He's terrible. Yeah, he really. He's, uh, He's a bum. Really a bum after that All Star performance, and we'll probably have to hear how many times you think Jim Palmer will talk about his own All Star uh, unfortunateness on on that broadcast. It'll be, it'll be a thoroughly covered subject. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Well, uh, that is Sunday game. Sunday's game. Yeah, Sunday. Uh, Sunday afternoon is going to be. So there might be the backup catcher playing too and that might be a new old face as well that's right because taylor teagarden is expected to be activated on friday which probably means ronnie paulino will be sent packing ronnie we hardly knew ye and literally that's true and and taylor teagarden well i don't really know him either but they liked him enough to trade a couple of of guys for him. Yeah, so. they did like him that much, and maybe he'll show us why. Because the the rumblings, just like Dana Evelyn. the rumblings in the media, I think, are that the Orioles have not been enamored with Ronnie Paulino's um, catch and throw skill set, and they like that better from Taylor Teagarden. So that's why we're getting Taylor Teagarden now that he's healthy. Will he make a huge difference? Probably not, but hey, well, every man. every little bit helps. Eh, the backup catcher I have a hard time caring about at all. Except, I miss except when it's Craig Tatum, then you care about him. Well, yeah, I love him, but you know he was really like the platonic ideal for the backup catcher was Craig Tatum. I always think of Paul Bacco as that's another good one. Oh yeah, I liked him too. Catcher. Or you know yeah. Greg Zahn, who I think well Greg Zahn, sure, sure. Some uh, he he retired. You gotta right? get your Z game on. Yeah. But anyway, there's also Miguel Gonzalez to consider, and who knows what to make of him. Uh, but again, we probably don't want to get our hopes up, just even though he had one very good game against a good lineup. Yeah. Like Unlike Chris Tillman, who faced the Mariners, Miguel Gonzalez had a good game against the Angels, which is no slouch when you consider the powerhouses they have on that team. Like the reigning 20-year-old champion of the world, Mike Trout, who... Really just blows my mind how good that guy is. Of course, when the Angels were here in Camden Yards, we saw that amazing catch robbing J.J. Hardy of the home run. 
I I have I I don't think I've ever really seen a catch like that before. It's certainly the best of this year. It might I know on Sports Center they put a basketball hoop like next to him <laughs> and it was a very impressive dunk it would have been. Like he was he got a lot of air. Which is impressive when you consider that he's listed as six feet one inches. Most of the players who dunk in basketball have, you know, a half foot more on that or something. But Mike Trout, amazing. Mark Trumbo doing really well for the Angels. Of course, they got Albert Pujols, all kinds of other good guys. And Miguel Gonzalez, great game against the Angels. But, well, I, I just don't know that he's going to do that uh, ever again. And yeah, I don't think that you can count on, well, you certainly can't count on either Gonzalez or Tillman. But at the same time, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because at least it's something different. And, you know, maybe, especially with Tillman... I mean, oh, he, he looked so, totally different. Yeah, he looked... Yeah, he didn't even look like the same pitcher to me when I watched him. Yeah, they were the Mariners. And, yeah, who knows? But, yeah, he didn't He didn't even look the same. He, he His his wind-up looked different. His body language looked different. His pitches looked different. It was... It was nice. And of course, Stacey, <laughs> so, you and I were at that Rick Peterson thing. You mentioned that earlier. And he, he mentioned that he had been working with more with the minor league guys this year, so... There, there is certainly the possibility that it was somebody like Rick Peterson or whoever you know is working under Rick Peterson that may have made a difference with Tillman. And uh, well, it was, it's very clear from what Peterson was talking about in that little meeting where his uh, his his big philosophies, the pitching guru Rick Peterson, are he wants to the pitchers to work on their pitch efficiency, which to him is you have either two within three pitches, you either ended the at bat or you have two strikes on the batter. And Stacy, I don't know what you felt like listening to him saying that stuff, but when I heard him talking about that, I was like, dude, there's no way this guy has done anything with Jake Arrieta or Brian Mattis this year. Yeah, well, and that was one of the questions you'd ask, like, what's their efficiency like? And he was just like, I don't know. Yeah, he was he was rattling so off he... <laughs> efficiency numbers from past years of all those players. And uh, right, I and like, I think I mean I liked what he said, but at the same time, it was kind of common sense. Get ahead in the count. It's not rocket science. A lot of these ideas, you say them, and it's like, oh, well, duh. The, my boss keeps telling me, like, he keeps making fun of uh, FIP, feeling independent pitching uh, metrics. And, and he says, like, oh, yeah, you strike out a bunch of guys, and you don't give up home runs, and you don't walk guys, and you're a good pitcher. No kidding. But it's um, less just understanding that as a fundamental concept and more, okay, how do we do that? How do we exploit that and, and focus on that as the specific goal more than just changing speeds and, and working away and, and so on? And, of course, with some of those young guys, it seems like, well, youngish guys, they're not, you know, they're not the prospects anymore. They're, uh, well, I don't even know what to call them really, but. They need to improve well, like, if they're. He's only 24, right? Well, I mean, I think in the case of like Madison Arietta, they're they're not on the prospect list anymore. Oh, no, no. I don't want to call them failed prospects, but I don't. No, just don't know they're what not. To call them. They're not failed prospects. But they need to make some serious mechanical improvements, I think, before they need to, they need to be seen in the major leagues again. And uh, maybe Rick Peterson or whoever will be. The guy to affect that, I don't know. I hope. Well, it'll definitely be interesting with Arietta because, you know, his deliveries, it's got a lot of parts to it. And, I mean, this isn't really my field of expertise necessarily, but what they were saying about 
Tillman's delivery is that he just simplified the heck out of it and and made it straightforward and just okay let's just do this and suddenly he picked up five miles an hour on his fastball how is that a thing i, have, like, I just don't understand i mean like i said it's not my area of expertise either but suddenly he just picked up five miles an hour that's a lot of course that was one of the things we were talking about on cam chat in that seattle series because it was like Wei and Chen had a couple that were had some zip on more than than I remembered seeing uh, radar guns reading him at before. Like I think he threw a couple 95 mile an hour pitches, which I don't really remember doing for him. And Tillman was as high as 97, and that was just stunning when you consider last year we watched some pit uh, some Chris Tillman games where he had like maybe a 90 mile an hour fastball, maybe. If you squint, yeah, yeah. And, that, and then, you know, and then he was out there in Seattle throwing 97. It's like, what the heck? I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about pitching. I don't know how that happens. But uh. it was very funny. I was listening to the game on the Seattle broadcast. I don't know why, but I was. And uh, they were saying, like, well, we've seen Tillman before. And was he throwing this hard? Do you remember him throwing this hard? And they're like, no. It's like they, they didn't think it was fair that suddenly this, this guy found how, how to throw 97 miles an hour. Well, the Orioles have certainly taken their lumps with Chris Tillman not knowing how to throw that fast before. So, you know, you can't say they haven't earned uh, earned some good outcomes from Tillman if he's going to keep delivering them. Which yeah, I mean, I'm looking I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it it could crash and burn spectacularly, but in the meantime, you know, just I mean, it was only one start. We have to keep saying it was only one start, but it was the Mariners. It was the Mariners. It was only one start. It was. The July, but, whatever. but either way, for now, although Andrew will mock you can dream. saying it. You can if, totally dream. If somehow the, the season ended right now and there were still playoffs, the Orioles, with their 45-40 and 40 record, would be the second wildcard team. Of oh, course. I know. Andrew uh, is crying on the inside and probably the outside over there. Nails on the chalkboard. I'm sorry, Andrew. I just I had to throw that one out there. But seriously, the Orioles are five games above 500, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's the All-Star break, and they're halfway to Dan O'Hare's mythical 90 wins. They're probably not going to get to 90 wins, but maybe they'll find probably maybe they'll find a way to get to 82 wins, which is what I would like. But I just I don't see how it can happen with so much uncertainty with well the offense that has been really when it's not hitting home runs is pretty much bad. Too, mm-hmm. too bad with lots of superfluous adjectives uh, possibly being needed to be thrown onto there. And the starters, I mean, who knows? Because both What's Hamill that? and Chen, when they weren't facing Seattle, uh, had you know seemed like they were having a little bit of a rough patch heading into the All-Star break. So, again, Andrew and I have talked about this in the past right now. It feels like, well, if both Hamill and Chen have a, you know, a bad start back-to-back, five-game losing streak, <laughs> Just like that. That's basically what you're going to get. And, I mean... That's a lot of pressure, too, for for those guys to know. They pretty much have to be the stopper because (laughs) there is literally right now nobody in the rotation beyond them. And and the guys who are there are... You can dream on Chris Tillman. I can. I certainly am. Um, But you cannot count on him. Not yet. And then there's also the question of whether the bullpen is due to kind of fall back towards the 
whatever the mean might be for the bullpen. I don't know. It's still been a pleasant surprise, but there's certainly felt like there have been some cracks in the foundation. Although, in fact, the Orioles do still have the best bullpen ERA at this moment in the American League. Uh, they're 275. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's pretty good. Only behind the Pirates with a 263 ERA from their bullpen. But the Orioles have thrown a lot of innings from the bullpen, which is the main main concern. Are those guys going to get burned out? They have the fourth most innings thrown out of all uh, all bullpens in baseball. And I mean, part of that is because there have been so many extra inning games, like in April and May, that had so many extra innings. It wasn't just like a 10-inning game. You know, there were 15, 16-inning games. Um, but part of it is, you know, the starters have really struggled a lot lately. Well, starters named Jake Arrieta and Tommy Hunter and Brian Mattis, which is why they're in Norfolk. But I don't know. I don't know if the bullpen will keep it going. It'll be nice if they did. With, uh, I think with, they can. With all-star closer Jim Johnson. Well, he wasn't the closer. He's the Orioles' closer, and he's an all-star. But he was not. A you know what's weird about that? Like Jim Johnson, he, because he's the closer, he's going to get the accolades. But if I had to pick one reliever who I think has done sort of, like, the best job, I guess? Or or what's the word I'm looking for here? Maybe sort of like the fireman, uh, the the unheralded most valuable reliever. Chris Davis. It's not Chris Davis, although he sure belongs up there. It's, it's Darren O'Day is the guy who sort of just comes in at random times and has been really good. Of course, everybody loves a side armor. Well, right, and you know he he had that weird fetish with the uh, the unicycle motorized scooter thing that that got him punked by by Buck Showalter. That was a funny video. For anybody, what was that? The the, the MLB fan cave did that. Yeah. Yes. Because he had his little he has his little scooter, and there was a fake video of Buck yelling at him about riding around on that instead of working. Honestly, I couldn't watch the whole thing through it. It made me feel uncomfortable. I felt bad for him. Like I wanted to give him a hug and be like, I'm sorry that Buck is being so mean to you. <laughs> but Darren O'Day, he has a 2.57 ERA this year. In his career, he has a 2.84 ERA. It's sort of like, why did the Rangers just give up on this guy? Yeah, well, he's, he struggled last year because he had a 5.40 ERA last year. He In like 17 innings. games, yeah. Right. Because he, holy crap, he gave up a lot of home runs last year. He gave up seven home runs in his 16.2 innings of work last year. So maybe that's why. I guess he why. was hurt, but, you know, he, he comes in and very quietly is sort of like the go-to guy for the bullpen because you can't go to Jim Johnson unless it's the ninth because we're stupid. And you can't go to Pedro Strope unless it's the eighth because, again, we're kind of stupid. But if... You're in like a bind, and it's the sixth inning. Darren O'Day, he's your guy. Yeah, and picking up the Rangers bullpen scraps has has, uh, has worked out pretty well for the Orioles so far. Hopefully that continues to be the case. I don't know, but yeah, I like O'Day. I I really do like sidearming guys. They're just more fun to watch. Just going That's back true. to. I don't know. Who was the side armor of my youth was probably Todd Froworth. Oh yeah, Todd Froworth. I don't he might not have even been good in Baltimore, but I just remembered thinking his side arming thing was awesome. And and I've liked side armors ever since. Except sometimes the Orioles managed to find bad side armors like uh you know, 
Todd Williams, the three-quarter armor, I guess, was... The Todd. The Todd. Who I will mostly always remember for... Giving up a double when he was trying to walk. Yeah, what was that? Yeah, it was Miguel Cabrera. So, I mean, that's good. No shame for that, but still. (laughs) You know it's time to hang it up when... And you can't potentially walk Miguel Cabrera. And that was that. So I just looked up Todd Frower's numbers for the Orioles because I was curious. He threw 96 innings in... 1991 and had a 187 ERA. That's probably the Todd Froworth I'm really remembering. 106 innings in 1992 and had a 246 ERA. That's still pretty good too. All those in relief. Those are. But it's, it's really people. hard for the side armor to be a starter. Yeah. <laughs> Why well, I just meant that was you know, these days it seems like relievers max out at one inning pitched per game and he. Yeah, they're usually in like the 60. That 1992 game, he had 106 innings, and that was in 65 games. So he was getting worked, which is good. It's good to get work out of your bullpen when you need to. Whatever. I don't know why I felt like talking about Todd Froworth. I just, uh, it seemed vaguely topical. Well, just like Stacy had Cal Ripken. What? Sort of the legend of her. Now, hold on here. Let's not. Yeah, they're totally the same. Let's not act like I was like the number and one I have Todd Froworth fan in the world because he was just one guy I remember fondly. I don't even know who was my Cal. Cal was my favorite player growing up, also, and why not? Because he was the best. But I did well, not get to talk to him. I have often uh, stated that there are three or four guys, depending on how I feel on any given day, that that fit that criteria for me, and Cal is definitely one of them. Yeah, me too. It's usually him and Brady. They're my two guys. Yeah. Uh, him, Brady, Chris Hoyles, and of course Mike Messina. Well, of course. Yeah. Traitor. He's such a traitor, that traitor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the bullpen, I think that they can keep it up. I think, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, of course, like you said, the innings will build up, but I think that, I mean, I don't know. They've looked so good. They haven't, they're the one part that hasn't made me be like, I hate the Orioles. <laughs> and so hopefully. I, and I'm going to have faith in them, continue to have faith in well, them. Well, Jim Johnson's great. So we know that that's pretty much locked down, as long as, as health isn't an issue. Which so far it hasn't been. And, of course, I don't remember when it was that Buck was asked if he was worried about the bullpen being overworked, and his reply was like he, he wasn't worried about it because he hasn't had to rely on any one guy because he was able to get pretty solid yeah, results that, that's, from that's really you know, everybody point. who's not named Kevin Gregg. Yeah, uh, Troy Patton's been pretty good. Uh, Luis Ayala has been really good, and and Strope's been pretty good. Too. Yeah, Luis Ayala's good except for when there's inherited runners, basically. <laughs> well, he's so wild, you know. He's, I sort of have to look away every time that that he comes on, and it's a tight situation. But there's, you know, it, it is easier to manage the workloads when. There's no real super weak weak link, right? And except it, except for Kevin. all their innings that they've thrown are all except for the guys who were like in the minors or on the DL or are Kevin Gregg. Like Strope <laughs> has thrown 37 and two thirds. O'Day's thrown 35. Patton's thrown 39. Jim Johnson's thrown 37 and a third. Yeah, and then half a and, season. And Ayala's really, thrown 40. Really not too, too bad. No, you're not looking at, you know, riding 90 innings out of... Uh, Those aren't Todd Furworth numbers. Well, whatever. I, I regret bringing that up entirely. No! That's going to be a <laughs> thing now. Why? He's like your childhood hero. 
I know. You love Todd Froworth. He's a scout in the Orioles system. Well, maybe. Maybe Duquette fired him. I don't know. Or demoted him. I yeah. I think I remember his name came up when they were reassigning all of the guys. Yeah, that does sound he, right. um, I think they sent him back to, like, Michigan. I don't know if he remained. Well, for what it's worth, his Wikipedia page says he's currently a professional scout for the Baltimore Orioles organization, but that might be wrong. Well, I would this think page was last modified on 9 March 2012, so I don't know if that's... Okay, we are now analyzing the last... <laughs> I'm going to say it, we're thoroughly researching here. Andrew, it's his childhood hero. God, I hate you guys. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't feel like we guys, said enough... Guys, wasn't Mike Messina really I don't feel good. like we said enough about maybe Nick Markakis coming back, so... What do we... Let's go back and, and move on from the, the bullpen and... Anyway, about Nick Markakis. What do you think we're going to get out of him, both in the field and in the lineup? You think you think he will actually make a difference for the any of the struggling areas where there are holes in the team right now? Absolutely, absolutely. I think that if they can put him, Andrew, I think that if they can put him um, into JJ Hardy's spot and maybe put JJ down a little bit further. I mean, like you said, his, his we said before his on base isn't fantastic this year, but it was better than second best on the team. Better than what's at the top of the the lineup now, so I think it can only help. I mean, how much? I guess it depends on you know, is his power really sapped the way they say it happens, and can he you know how will his uh, patience? Oh, he had two home runs in one of his buoy rehab well, games, so yeah. So like I did like a really small. Uh, study about like Hammett bones and, and guys who have had them and some guys come back and are, they don't lose any power and some guys come back and they don't have any power, but it's really hard to just say, Oh yeah, the Hammett bone definitely saps power. So who the heck knows? And Nick Markakis was really Nick having Hagas. a weird year even before that. Cause his batting average was so low and he was slugging more than he had in the past couple of years. And I really just, and we've talked about it before. We'll talk about it Mark again. Reynolds. I don't know. I don't know what what is going on with him. Like I, I couldn't make sense of his season before, and now there's the Hammett bone variable thrown in there. Well, there's no more Hammett bone. The Hammett bone was removed, I should say. But uh, how how much is that going to affect whatever he had going on? And was I mean, was he due to have some kind of adjustment to his numbers based on you know what he'd already had over 50 games? Who knows? But yeah. one one thing about talking about baseball is you can never say anything with certainty or you're going to be wrong. And we've talked about this before. It's true. We'll talk about it again. You can't predict baseball. The, the person who knows the most in the world about Major League Baseball is still going to be wrong, like, all the time. So, that's life. But well, regardless, it'll be nice to get an, another legitimate outfielder back on the roster since for right. so long we've been riding with Adam Jones and his, like, gang of misfits. Right. Anytime you're getting running it one Ryan of Steve Flaherty. Pierce or, or Chris Davis or Ryan Flaherty out of the outfield, plus you're replacing those guys in the lineup with Nick Markakis. And even if he hits with less power, he's going to be a better hitter than Ryan Flaherty. And, I mean, Chris Davis hasn't been hitting at all. With, with four guys to activate over the next uh five, well, five games starting from Friday, because they got to activate Andy Chavez, Taylor Teagarden, they need to call Chris Tillman back from Bowie, and then if they call up Zach Britton to be the fifth starter, that's four guys that they're going to have to make roster moves for. And uh, they they only have an 11-man pitching staff right this second, so at least one of those is going to be pitcher-activated position player sent down. So 
really, we could see the end of Team Steve entirely. And uh, Avery could get sent down. Who knows? Paulino for Tea Garden seems to be a sure thing, but I don't. I really don't know what the Orioles want to do with their bench. Maybe the Orioles don't know. Well, do you think Ryan Flaherty uh, lives to see August in Baltimore? I mean, at this point, I feel like they've kept him for this long. Yeah, they've it they've be, made it this far. Yeah, like it would be whatever. Have you guys ever heard of uh, the sunk cost? Does the sunk cost theory? apply to a Rule Five draft pick? Well, that's a good point. I guess since. If they if they do hold on to him, they get to keep him. But I mean, has he shown enough that like keeping him it should be a high priority, well, so that they can just stash him in AAA next year? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to evaluate that stuff. He certainly hasn't looked like a major league player right now, but that doesn't mean they can't send him to Norfolk next year if they keep him and and turn him into. I don't know what what could they turn him into the next Robert Andino for you know two years of I mean, decent play. But like, that seems like kind of a if if they're going to make a serious run at, at staying in this uh, playoff race, you know that's a luxury that I'm not sure should be like a really high priority. Especially, I mean, they have like L.J. Hoes down in in AAA who's doing pretty well too. I mean, I don't I don't know exactly how similar of a player that is, but it seems like. You kind of you can find Ryan Flaherty. You might already have Ryan Flaherty's. Do you would need to keep Ryan Flaherty on your bench over Xavier Avery? Andrew, I think you've gone a couple months without talking about L.J. Hose on the podcast. I'm impressed at your at your restraint. L.J. Hose is Andrew's favorite guy in the minors right he's now. My I think. Yeah. L.J. Hose, but he's really doing well in Norfolk. He's played 35 games for the Tides. Batting 319 with a 372 uh, on-base percentage, 459 slugging. That's, I mean, he's, he's not like suck. something special, but that can be a useful guy. Just like Brian Flaherty could be a useful guy, even though he's he's definitely not like starting material or anything. So I don't know. Yeah, but I, as far as are they going to keep him, I just feel like they've kept him this long. They might as well keep him the rest of the Right. I feel like if they didn't see something in him that they wanted to hold on to, wouldn't he be gone by now? Well, it's not like he's contributing. Well, you could argument about tons of guys, like Kevin Gregg. Yeah, well, I guess it's different because, like, well, you talked about the sunk cost thing, and Gregg, you know, the money thing is definitely... Well, I don't. I don't want to say definitely because that would that would be being certain, which makes me wrong. But I think we can be certain about this. You know, Greg. Greg is making what the five point two million this year, so five point six or something like that. And he's getting every penny of that, and the Orioles are going to pay every penny of that. Well, unless they manage to dump okay know, half a million of salary no. in, in August or something, but whatever. For some playoff contender to pick up. Kevin Gregg? I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it either. I mean, I guess that's what they were hoping, that he would get lightning in a bottle and, you know, not be bad for, like, 12 straight appearances or something. But I, I don't think it's capable of... Kevin Gregg is capable of having 12 straight good appearances because his, his inner Kevin Greggness will just... Uh, will shine through and, and prevent the Orioles from ever really putting the best Kevin Gregg forward. You just haven't acquired a taste for his pitching yet. Nor will I ever. I don't. This is think. a this is a Mark Brown problem, not a Kevin Gray problem. Oh 
boy, Andrew. It's like I had a professor who would always say, if an art critic wants to say something bad about the Mona Lisa, it says more about the critic than it says about the Mona Lisa. And I guess that's me with Kevin Gregg. Wait, in this scenario, are you the Mona Lisa or are you the art critic or are you the professor? I am Kevin Gregg. Put that in your pot. Uh, you smoke it. <laughs> Oh, boy. Wow. Oh, we're getting a little silly. That probably means it's time for the final thoughts. So let's put Stacy on the spot for the final thoughts, since usually that's what I do to Andrew, and he doesn't have a final thought yet. Oh, but I had one this time. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Oh, that's too bad. I'll get you next time. Okay. But, Stacy, do you have anything anything final? Well, not final, but final for the moment of, of the Orioles, as things stand at this point. Well, I think... Going into the second half, we have a lot of things to look down on about the Orioles, but I'm going to do my darndest to, you know, not get too cynical and too angry, and I hope that that can kind of carry over a little bit, and maybe I won't hate the Orioles the way I do every second half of the season, and maybe it'll make Camden Chat, you know, the place to be. <laughs> A little... And also, I talked to Cal Ripken yesterday. Yeah, that you can't can't bring you down. We were, we were talking about that, and I was like, you know, nothing can bring you down today. And then you had to remind me, what if you had a grotesque auto accident going back from talking to Cal Ripken? And then I felt bad, because obviously that wouldn't be good. But talking to Cal Ripken, pretty cool. So is there any is there any one thing that maybe makes you feel like maybe you'll be less bitter and cynical about the Orioles in the second half? You know, one you know, guy, one I, I just. It's hard to predict, but because I've gotten much, <laughs> I've gotten much more joy out of the Orioles this year than I have in a while as far as watching their actual play. And so I've been trying to be very zen about it, like because I've known that it's not gonna last. So I've tried to been like very in the moment. And I think, you know, if I can kind of maybe keep that attitude, I don't know. And also Jim Jam. The Orioles well, you know, the Orioles have banked up some goodwill with us so far. That's true. So so if they have, you know, their their eight game August losing streak or something, they won't be as at as worst of a place as like the the recent years when they tailspinned in August when they already weren't doing well. So that definitely makes a difference. Well if they go like four and thirty two, all bets are off. Okay. Yes. That would suck. But hopefully they won't. And really that's such an astounding level of bad. Hopefully, won't. And yet, not unprecedented. <laughs> no, not unprecedented. And yet, we've all lived through it. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. So, Andrew, what about your final thought? Okay. Um, I spent this past weekend on vacation because it was the All Star break, and I get that for vacation. I don't get to talk to Cal Ripken, but I do get a day off because it's the All Star break. Only one day. Uh, yes. Um. On the way back on Monday night, my girlfriend and I were listening to the Home Run Derby on the radio, which is exactly as pointless as it sounds. The Home Run Derby is pointless on its own, and when it's on the radio, it's even worse. Who is the radio Home Run Derby? Uh, it was on ESPN, so it was just Boog Champ and uh, Chris Singleton, and they had some sideline reporters, but I'm not sure who. Uh but, however, just as I was being all cynical and, and goofy about this, even though I was just driving and listening to the whole thing without changing the station, uh, 
there was actually a really cool moment when Robinson Cano was up and all the Kansas City fans were booing him because I couldn't see what he was doing. And they went to a sideline reporter who was talking to probably Billy Butler uh, during this. But every single time Cano made it out, you heard all of this horrible booing. And it was like, yes, I can follow along with the action as if it's on TV without them needing to tell me what's happening. I know exactly how many outs he's got and how few home runs he's got. And so that was just a little moment that uh, going with Stacy's Zen Cohen's uh, that maybe when you want to be really cynical about something in baseball, it can still surprise you with something really cool. And you just have to be ready and, and, and able to experience it. I'm going to have to take that one to the judges and see if it's allowed to have a final thought about the Orioles that's not actually about the Orioles. Now, there's some, that, there's some Zen stuff right there. So, I don't know. Do I even have a final thought about the Orioles? I hope Adam Jones keeps being the all-star that he showed himself to be and that he doesn't, you know... Well, I don't think he's going to start, you know, sucking, but I hope he just... Well, will he have 40 home runs? Probably not. But I hope he ends up with at least, like, 32 or something. That'd be pretty awesome. He has not had a good, like, past month either. He needs to get back on the horse. Stop swinging at low and away sliders, maybe, as you That is not the today. problem. I can prove that. That is definitely not his problem. So, yeah, it does turn out low and away sliders are not as big of a problem for Adam Jones as you thought. Because you can go read about that from Andrew on CamdenChat.com right now. It's it's just down a little bit if you if you scroll down. I guess we've we've run through our list of things tonight. I think it's been about an hour, so hey, go us. That's about how long we wanted it to be. Clap, clap, everyone. Hooray. Nice job. Hooray. But anyway, that's all we've got for tonight. I was fortunate to be joined by Stacy Long. Stacy, thanks for coming on. I was fortunate too. We were I, we were both fortunate to be joined. I by was Stacey. fortunate to be asked. And the to listeners be on with you were too. super fortunate. Everybody was fortunate, except, well, yeah, everybody was fortunate. Stacy's awesome, so. Well, thank you. I always like hearing that. Andrew is also awesome. I just sim around him all the time, so, you know. Well, I can agree at least that Stacy's. But there's Stacy Long and Andrew Gibson. They are my Camden Chat compatriots. You can follow Camden Chat on Twitter, and that's Stacy. It's at Camden Chat. You can follow Andrew on Twitter. He's at Gibson Andrew. And me, I am Mark Brown, but on Twitter, I am at Eatmore, S-K-E-S-S-K-A-Y, just like the hot dogs. And I'm supposed to note, you should taste the difference quality makes, because that's what the SK slogan is. I don't actually get money for that. It would be kind of awesome if I did, but, you know. Someday. Someday. That's my dream. I have other dreams, but maybe I'll talk about that next time. Uh, that's all we've got for tonight. We're bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.